Good morning, everybody. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas, regardless of how it looked this year. I hope that you were able to celebrate and feel the joy of the season. Uh, growing up, I would occasionally take the bus home from school if there was ever a day that my parents were both working late and I didn't feel like waiting for them to get home. Now, I grew up in a small, small town in rural Minnesota, about 3,000 people, heart of Amish country, heart of farmland. And from this small town, I grew up 10 miles in the country in the middle of nowhere. Like, we didn't have wireless internet until I was in high school, kind of middle of nowhere. Um, I found a Google Earth satellite image of my property, or my parents' property, I should say, that I grew up on, so you guys can kind of visualize it. Sorry, it's not uh, the best, but that house on the right is my house. Uh, if you look really, really closely, I think you can actually see me standing in the front yard in this picture. Um, can we maybe zoom in? There it is. They never tell you when those things are going to take the pictures. They just, they don't. Um, anyway, as you can see, next slide please, we got this long winding driveway. It's about a quarter of a mile long. And I had to walk down that every time I would ride the bus. Now as a kid, I had a pretty active imagination. And so I always was deathly terrified that somebody was going to turn into the driveway behind me and kidnap me. Now we lived, again, out in the middle of nowhere. This was not a likely occurrence, but it was something I was scared of. So as I was walking, I would always be routinely checking behind me, and I would always have a plan. See, if you look to the right, those little black dots or green dots, those are all pine trees that at this point are about 10 feet tall during this story. And my plan was always to jet into the pine trees where a car to turn in the driveway behind me, and then sneak all the way up around the perimeter of the property. There's a river at the top of the screen. You probably can't really see it, but trust me, it's there. And then I would sneak back into the house, call 911, and I'd be safe. My backup plan, if they were to be guarding the house, was to live in the woods as a tree person. So one day, as luck would have it, I had to ride the bus home from school because my dad was working late and my mom stayed home with my sister who was homesick from school. And... I was riding the bus, I got off, and I was walking down the driveway, right, doing my checks, doing my checks, and I turn about a third of the way down the driveway, and what do I see turning in the driveway behind me but this? Like I said, heart of Amish country, not a super unnormal thing, but as a, I don't know, probably sixth grader who was terrified of being kidnapped while riding the bus home from school, my panic alarms started to go off. And so rather than darting into the trees, I knew my mom was home and she could protect me. So I started sprinting, started booking it. Now, I can't say that I broke any NFL 40-yard dash records, but I also can say that there's no way to technically prove that I didn't. I get to the front door, and I start pounding on the door. There's no time for keys. And I start yelling at the top of my lungs, and I quote... The Amish are coming! The Amish are coming! As if this was the Revolutionary War and I was Paul Revere. My mom opens the door. I run straight past her into my room. Now, uh, if you know anything about Amish people in general, they're very, very kind people. And this individual was no exception. He was going door to door selling homemade peach pies. There was no need to be scared. But for a moment there, I thought I was in legitimate danger. I was legitimately scared that I was going to be kidnapped, and so I was fleeing for my safety. And today, as we continue our series looking at Mary 
and the person that she was, uh, we're going to be looking at a story where Mary and Joseph, as you saw in the scripture reading, are forced to flee for their own safety because of King Herod. Now, as Amy touched on last week, the Magi are warned of Herod's true intentions and told in a dream to take a different path home on their way home from Bethlehem. So they do this, and in Matthew 2.16, when Herod finds out about this, he's livid. He orders that all the baby boys in Bethlehem, in its vicinity, who were born in the last two years, in accordance with the time that he learned from the Magi, are killed. Now, in modern reenactments and depictions, uh, they would have us to believe that this is in the hundreds. Uh, however, hopefully there's a small amount of comfort that we can find in that biblical scholars actually believe that based off the size of the town of Bethlehem, this was likely 10 to 30, more realistically. However, with that very small amount of comfort that we find from knowing it's not in the hundreds, it doesn't take away from that it's still absolutely gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, and we see the evil heinous act that Herod does here. See, Herod's motive, his one reason for living, it seems to be, is power. He fiends for it to the point that he would have uh, babies killed, that he would have hundreds of uh, officials uh, executed and actually have own members of his own family, uh, his wife and a couple of his sons, executed all to protect his throne from being usurped. Power is his only motive. Now, Knowing this is about to happen in verse 13, if we go back a couple verses, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So in verse 14, Joseph takes the child and his mother, and they flee to Egypt, where they wait for God's word. Now, I'm at an age where a lot of my friends and family members are starting to have kids of their own. In fact, in the last year and a half, two of my sets of cousins have each had babies. And what I'm learning from their experiences about babies is that you can't take those little suckers anywhere. You just, you can't. You can't take a little child uh, to your family member's house 10 minutes away without having to load up the car seat and bring one of those giant bag of baby supplies with like 35 diapers, and then bring one of those little play pens, play pens uh, excuse me, for them to nap in. They're just, it's very difficult to travel with little kids. Yet Mary and Joseph now have to take this journey at least 80 miles from the town of Bethlehem to the border of Egypt, and then likely much more than that once they're already in Egypt uh, to flee for their safety uh, on foot with a little kid. Here, once again, Mary is put in a situation that requires a tremendous amount of faith that God is going to do everything he says he will. See, after traveling 80-ish miles from Bethlehem, uh, or to, from Nazareth to Bethlehem while pregnant for the census, uh, they've finally gotten a chance to briefly settle down and make a home. We know this because Matthew says that the Magi visited the house of Mary and Joseph rather than the stable that Jesus was born in. But after this, they're forced now to get back up and go on a run, and they make this difficult journey to a foreign nature, nation uh, with a baby and spend the first few years of their marriage and of parenthood as refugees and sojourners. I don't know if I'm actually saying that second word right, but you know what I mean. What would have been going on through Mary's mind during this time? Fear for her newborn's life that she was entrusted with protecting? 
wonder on what's going on in the mind of her husband, his thoughts about her, about their child, about the situation they found themselves in, or maybe just angst on when they will get to finally return home. See, scholars estimate that for approximately three years they're in Egypt. What faith must it have taken for them to wait day after day? How long until we can return home? See, when we read it, it's like verse 15, they go to Egypt. Verse 19, they go back to Israel, and it's just over. But if you put yourselves in their shoes, if you put yourselves in the story, three years is a long time to be waiting for a return home. That's approximately a thousand days, a thousand times that they wake up wondering, do we get to go home today? As we pick back up in verse 19, we read that after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So in verse 21, they once again set out to return to Israel, but in verse 22, we find out that when they see Archelaus is reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, they were afraid to go there and instead end up withdrawing to the district of Galilee. Now let me break this down, explain this a little bit more. See, when Herod died, he was ruling such an, a large area of territory that his reign would be divvied out between three of his sons, Archelaus, Herod Philip, and Herod Antipas. Now, that reddish-pinkish region is the reign of Archelaus, which covers Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And Archelaus was said to have displayed the same amount of cruelty that his father before him had. In fact, one of the first things that he did as king was uh, send out orders for some 3,000 people to be killed. That's right, 3,000 people. That would be like my entire town growing up. Now, Ironically, because of this uh, cruelty, he would have a short reign and be banished by the Roman Empire, and then rule of this area would actually go over to a group of Roman officials called prefects, one of whom was Pontius Pilate. But that's a different story. See, with this perfect picture of grace and compassion on the throne, Mary and Joseph, not so surprisingly, decided to go to a different area and resided in the town of Nazareth, under the less cruel Herod Antipas. Finally, they are back home and no longer refugees. So what can we learn from Mary in this story? If you're anything like me, I don't know, six days ago, you're thinking, what do we take away from Mary in a story that doesn't mention her by name even one time? In fact, it only references her a few times. Even though this is the case, there are still some important things that we can take away from Mary and her actions that we see in the story. The first one being that Mary and Joseph displayed an incredible amount of faith regardless of their circumstances. See, we tend to gauge God's provision in our lives based off what's going on around us. If things are going well, if they're falling into place, we tend to believe that we're doing something right. But if things are going poorly, if everything is difficult and life just really stinks, we tend to think it's because we're doing something wrong. Yet, in this story, we see the opposite take place. See, King Herod couldn't be further from the will of God, yet has endless riches and seemingly endless power. Mary, on the other hand, is devoutly faithful to God's call on her life, and it results in her having to leave everything she's known and fleeing for her child's life. Faith doesn't dictate our circumstances, and circumstances shouldn't dictate our faith. 
Now, piggybacking off of that, we come to our second takeaway, which is that obedience to God doesn't always mean an easier life. In fact, often, as we know, it means the opposite. Mary's life got drastically more difficult the second she said yes to God. Instead of honeymooning somewhere, relaxing with her newlywed husband, which I don't actually think was a thing they did back then, uh, she's forced to endure unmerited shame and scorn for having a child out of wedlock, is forced to give birth in a stable, and is now journeying hundreds of miles from her home because a paranoid egomaniac is threatened by her infant. Though none of us will ever be called to birth the Messiah, I can say with a fair amount of confidence, we all will be called at different points in times to step far outside of our comfort zone in obedience to Jesus. Will you answer the call? I promise, most times, it will make your life more difficult. Now, if that's discouraging, hopefully you can find comfort in my final point, which is this, that God provides for his children when they obey his will. God is faithful to his promises. How anxious must it have been to wait in Egypt day after day for years, waiting to return home, wondering when they can return to normal. A lot of us currently have been waiting 10 months for a return to normal. And I don't know about you guys, but it's kind of seemed like a lifetime. And most, if not all of us, have struggled in some realm, whether it's been finances and employment opportunities, whether it's been political disagreements with our coworkers or friends or family members, whether it's been uh, the fear of health and safety for ourselves or loved ones, or whether it's just been mental health and the longing for a return to the normal life that we lived before. There are a lot of unanswered questions. Yet God sustained Mary and Joseph in this story and provided their daily bread. It wasn't always glamorous, it wasn't always pretty, and I'm sure it wasn't always what they wanted, but it was what they needed. He protected them, and he provided for them. And we can count on him to do the same for us. Now, I'm not naive. I don't want to be unaware. So I won't say that this goes without hardship, without loss, or without suffering. Because as I said in my last point, it does. But ultimately, God is good, and he is sovereign, and we can rest in that he will fulfill his promises and provide us what we need. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for Mary. We thank you uh, for your son and that you would come down to earth and dwell among us as one of us because you love us and want a relationship with us. I pray that we learn from Mary and Joseph in this story and see the example set by them and that we would live it out having faith in all circumstances, answering the call even when it means a more difficult life, and then recognizing your provision and that you'll provide for us in ways we both know and don't know. Amen.